There's a new doctor in town. No, not that one. Wait, has this got sugar in? Welcome to vlog 51. <laughs> Sorry about that. I should know better than to talk with my mouth full. Anyway, that was my little dedication to the brilliant Gavin Creel, who opened this week in Waitress, opposite Sarah Bareilles herself, who finally won a Grammy. She's been nominated seven or eight times already, but this was the first time she actually won. And bless her, she obviously missed the ceremony to be here in London to open again as Jenna in Waitress. Now, this is a show that I have seen twice already since it opened in London last year. First with Catherine McGee and then... Secondly, with Lucy Jones, when she took over the part. It was then announced that the show will be closing this year. Now, Sarah Bareilles, having written the show, has played Jenna on Broadway twice. Once for its third anniversary and similarly just before it closed. And with the show about to close in London, I think that was the reason why she wanted to come back to say goodbye to this part and this show that has clearly changed her life. If you saw her performance on Graham Norton, which is what I did, I was so moved. It was brilliant. And it was the main reason why I wanted to come and see this show again. I'll be honest, I wasn't the biggest fan of this show the first two times that I saw it. I still have problems with the characters, She's a married woman having an affair with her doctor who's also married and her best friend is having an affair with her boss who's married. There's a lot of adultery, let's be honest. And we're supposed to like these characters? Mm. Anyway, that aside, I did also have problems with the show that it was very Americanized. It felt like you were watching a ropey American sitcom in parts. Despite this, like I said, I wanted that opportunity to see Sarah Bareilles herself playing this part that she has written. And I also wanted to see Joel Montague, who joined the cast last year. Joel is brilliant, so he was definitely a thumbs up from me. And on top of that, Evelyn Hoskins, the brilliant Evie. She is superb. And she originally auditioned for the part of Dawn with Laura Baldwin, who herself is brilliant. So it's really nice that the pair of them have now gone on to essentially open and close this show and both get the chance to play Dawn because they were both made for this character. Dawn is a bit kooky and they both portray her 
superbly. I was so excited to see Evie back in the West End, where 10 years ago she originated the part in the original London cast of Spring Awakening. And since then she's done a lot of work, including leading the cast of Carrie and the Suffolk Playhouse. But this is the first time that she's been back in the West End properly. And it's long overdue because she is superb. Now, Gavin Creel, what can I say? I first saw Gavin when he was in the Book of Mormon. And let's be honest, he's gorgeous. He is back playing the Doctor, who he played on Broadway with Sarah Bareilles before. Now, compared to David Hunter, he is a little bit camp, <laughs> but his voice is delicious and he does a really, really good job. And seeing the pair of them and the chemistry that Gavin and Sarah have is superb. Now, moving on to Sarah Bareilles, I am in awe of her. She is exceptional. Not only is she a formidable singer and songwriter, but she's a brilliant actress. You might remember that she was part of the Jesus Christ Superstar live show a couple of years ago, which I think she was nominated for an Emmy. It stands to reason she's brilliant. And in this show, which she helped develop and write this character, it just makes so much more sense. The character is so much clearer and you get the essence and everything. Not to disparage or discredit any of the actors who played Jenna before, including Lucy, who I think is brilliant. But there is something compelling about watching the person who wrote these lines deliver them in such brilliance. And not only that, the book, which she didn't write, she knows, she knows this character inside and out and is able to relay that to you brilliantly. If you haven't seen this show before, now is the time to see it. They're only on for six weeks and then the show itself will continue until July. But even if you have seen it, it's worth revisiting because like me, if you come back to it with a completely open mind, you will come away with a completely different perspective. It really, really does work when you understand what it, how it all fits together. Yeah. Yeah. So well done to Sarah Bareilles for bringing me back round to this show. I still think there are some flaws in the show and I don't think it's exceptional but for me it was definitely far more enjoyable and yeah I was really impressed and Joel Montague is brilliant I just love him his <laughs> I won't spoil it for you but he incorporates a bit of Irish dancing in one of his routines which is just inspired love it now on Tuesday, I was at the NTAs. Long before I started working in theatre, I used to work in TV and film. And I actually started out at ITV in Dancing on Ice as a researcher. And since then, I don't 
watch nearly as much TV as I used to, but I still love and look back fondly from my experience and my time working in TV. And the NTAs, like any award ceremony, are a brilliant celebration of all the work and recognition that goes in to what we do. And it's great to go along every year, as I do, with my friend Chloe, and we have a great catch-up, enjoy the ceremony, and then the after-party. These after-parties are brilliant. The drink is free-flowing, the food keeps coming, and you get to rub shoulders with some incredible people. I managed to catch up with Vinegar Strokes from Everybody's Talking About Jamie, who is now who was there along with her RuPaul Drag Race co-stars and is going to be in the new show Eurobeat, part of Empty Fest UK. And if I'd known then what was revealed today that Philip Schofield came out as gay, I'd have definitely been sniffing around him. I've had a long obsession with Philip Schofield since I used to watch him on Going Live. And I think it's brilliant that he is, at 57, taking the courage to come out and speak publicly about his sexuality. It cannot have been easy. And what he has done is so incredible. So if you're watching this, Philip, Give me a call. <laughs> On Wednesday, I was at the Vaults Festival for this show called Tarot. Apparently, this was a sellout show from Edinburgh, but I don't remember seeing it when I was up there or even hearing about it. I was drawn to it by the concept of what they promised to be a kind of live tarot experience with a live band and circus performers. What they ended up with was just a mismatch, hodgepodge, weird, bizarre show that didn't really kind of know what it was doing. Hosted by the incredible Ruby Wednesday, who is an incredible vocalist and performer. Ruby obviously has got some experience in tarot, whether this was learnt for this show or whether always been interested in tarot, I don't know. But Ruby was certainly knowledgeable, far more knowledgeable than I or perhaps half the audience were, which I think was part of the problem with it. I didn't really know much about tarot. And what this show tried to do, what the producers and directors aimed to do, was draw out and extract these characters inspired by tarot cards and manifest them as circus beings with this live band underscoring the whole thing. Whilst also Ruby's there giving live tarot readings to two people picked out of the audience. It just didn't work because there was too much going on. At certain points you kind of watch the tarot reading but then there's circus activities going on and you're thinking am I, what, am I, what am I watching? Circus acts themselves, although the four performers have incredible core skill and ability to work within the confines of this tiny little archway that they are performing in, 
The tricks, I'll be honest, were a little basic. Certainly if you've watched things like Britain's Got Talent or any larger circus, you'll have seen better tricks. So it, it, it was difficult to really appreciate it when it really wasn't that impressive. The band who, I don't know whether they were being experimental or improvising, there seemed to be some structure in their music, but it was quite ambiguous and it was very kind of, in its style, it was quite grungy and alternative, which is fine if that's what you like. I don't particularly like that style, so for me, it didn't really work. Um, and again, to underpin the entire production, it kind of was effective in that it drew you in. But it was also, again, distracting, especially when, bless them, the keyboard stand collapsed halfway through one of the songs, which was so distracting. They covered it really well and did handle it very well, especially when a stage manager ran on to help reassemble all the equipment but I after that just couldn't stop watching it waiting for it to fall off again meanwhile Ruby Wednesday was very quirky and very kooky which is Ruby's style Ruby likes to be a bit different and there's nothing wrong with that but where Ruby was most alluring was when Ruby was just being themselves. There were moments where it felt like Ruby was trying to shock us or be a bit wacky and it just, just be yourself, you know. The moments of interaction with the audience, which were spontaneous, for me, worked a lot better than the bits which were clearly scripted. Um, and Ruby then came out at the end, bare-chested to do some fire breathing, which again, Nice skill, it's neat, but it's not overwhelming. Um, all in all, it was just a bizarre mix and a bit too off the wall. I think it's a nice concept in essence, but the execution certainly wasn't there. And the lead singer of the band reminded me of that guy from Police Academy. Do you remember that one? You know who I'm talking about. What kind of music do you like? You like salsa? You like reggae? Salsa with that love thing? Ah! This is a song. I wrote my first album and it goes something like this. Ah! When I was a baby, I had no taste. I couldn't get a job. I couldn't eat meat. It was like originally like a, a love bear, but I kind of spooked it up. Yeah. I mean, I'm not being rude, he, he, he just did. Sorry. On Thursday, I was invited to the Lion and the Unicorn to see a new play. Is it a play? I think it's a play. Play with songs. A new play by Joe Kerry called Tube. Now, Joe Kerry is a graduate from Mountview who I met last year when he was part of the incredible Festival of New Writers at Zadell, called Unplugged at the Crazy Cox. And Joe is the most sweetest, friendliest, loveliest guy you will ever meet. And when he invited me to watch his show, I was really excited to see what he's produced. It won the Stockwell 
Playhouse Bursary for New Writing and was part of their one act festival of new work. And essentially it's a two-hander about two strangers who are stuck in a tube carriage. Now it's a good conceit and a really good place to start. And within this, the two actors who also trained at Mount View play these characters who are starting to get to know each other whilst passing time while stuck on the tube. Within this, George Dams, who plays one of the characters, is a musician and they incorporate music that Joe has written as well. And they're great songs. Oh, and I forgot to say, when I got there, they gave me this programme, which is designed like a tube map. Love it. Good work. Now, the glaring problem I had with this show is the fact that, speaking from my own experience, when you sit on a tube, you don't speak to people around you. Nobody in London does. And yet we're supposed to buy that these two random strangers start up conversation. It's a bit of a reach, but you go along with it and you start to explore and the characters then start to reveal themselves and explore the story. And it is quite compelling and very interesting. You don't really know where the story is going. And at certain points, it feels like it's starting to drag. And you are also overridely confused by the situation because it's not really clear how long they've been stuck for or why. Or if, in fact, any of this is real. Not to give away the ending, but it does pack a brilliant punch, which the play definitely needed to make it stand apart from anything else you'll have seen. What could be just a mundane play about two people on a tube. There is definitely mystique and mystery in this story and not everything is explained, which I loved about it. Now, like I say, whether the characters and the dialogue are realistic, whether certain elements worked, I don't know. It was certainly well directed. And they really spent time establishing that these people were on a tube. Down to when they first get on it, you see the physicality and the movement, which was representative of the train carriage. When the play then became a bit more surreal, I think they could have benefited by having a few lighting changes or something to distort the reality. Um, I might be wrong. I don't know. But that's the thing, it was great that I came away thinking about it and it made me think. So yeah, it's good work. It was good work and brilliant for Joe, who is a new writer, to be putting on work like this. And brilliant for the Lion and the Unicorn to programme this type of new, edgy, experimental work. There is definitely a place for it. And it definitely, and it definitely piqued my interest. And I will definitely be watching what Joe does next. The performances were both brilliant. They were great. Now on Friday, I was back at the other palace. This time, thanks again to Lambert Jackson Productions, 
but not for a cabaret. I was there for another workshop of new writing from, by coincidence, Joe Kerry's friend Dylan Winford, who also trained at Malview, and the pair of them have actually collaborated on a new project which they are writing together. Now, The Throwaways is a new musical written by Dylan after taking part in Alan Lenson's Signal event. Now, Signal is an event that Adam organises as a platform for new writing, in particular, new musical theatre. And Dylan does have an experience of writing new musicals already. Previously presented at the Other Palace as well, he wrote a musical called Bright Young Things. Now, I remember this and it was a bit problematic. It was essentially a very generic show about a group of 20-somethings born out of his own experiences moving to London to become a musician. Now, again, with The Throwaways, it's not a huge departure. He, again, has written about a character that moves to London and feels like they don't really fit in. And it's inspired by his own love for battle cards and trading cards. But this time, what Dylan has done is try to explore themes that are universal, or certainly seem to be. Like one character, for example, hates their job in Argos. Although I've never worked in Argos, I can relate to that feeling of having a job that you don't like. And within it, Dylan certainly does seem to be exploring and expanding different characters than he's ever written before. And in particular, has developed to write a deaf character. Now, this complies with the story, which is about fitting in and struggling to make connections with other people, which you can imagine most deaf people have felt. And Dylan has obviously spent a lot of time researching this character and working with deaf actors. In the show, he has cast Sahira Khan. who does all her lines through sign language. And it's brilliant to see this representation of a deaf actor playing a deaf character, especially in a musical, and to see how you can change and adapt the form of musicals to incorporate deaf characters. Now, last year in a production of Taming the Shrew, an actress called Charlotte Arrowsmith played a part alongside hearing actors who helped to incorporate her by using some sign and gestures with Charlotte herself delivering all her lines through sign language without any captions to help or assist the audience. Now, with it being Shakespeare, the audience predominantly were able to follow the story anyway, because they probably knew the story. Now, with The Throwaways, because it is a new musical, they haven't been as bold as to be able to do that. So what they have done, where Sahara delivers her lines through sign language, they then 
project the captions behind her on the wall so that you as the audience can still follow the story. And during the choral songs, she signs alongside the other cast members who are singing. And when it came to her own song, which she obviously signed all the way through, her co-star, Courtney Stapleton, sang the song as an interpreter. Like I say, it's a new way of looking at how musicals can be adapted and modified to incorporate deaf characters and deaf actors. And it was really, really nice to see how much Sahara Khan was getting out of this entire experience and how much us as an audience were gaining from seeing this show. Now elsewhere, Siobhan O'Driscoll, who played the lead character Megan, was brilliant. And I love hearing a native Northern accent in any production. Elsewhere, Lawrence Smith and the brilliant Lizzie B had a genius comic pairing playing commentators, similar, if you can imagine, like in Pitch Perfect movie. They were so funny and sounded incredible. Lizzie, who is going on to play Tracy in Hairspray this summer, is brilliant. And Lawrence is just genius. Elsewhere, the entire cast were really strong. And it's testament to these type of workshops. These actors are given minimal time and rehearsal and have to really trust and rely on their own instincts and the brilliant direction of Adam Lanson to really kind of put something out there, which in most cases they only then perform once or twice. So I really commend anybody who takes part in a workshop because it is brilliant and it's needed because shows like this really do rely on feedback and gauging what works. And you don't know that until you try it out. Now, like I say, with Dylan's work, his music and his songs are brilliant, but his writing does let him down. And I don't know whether he'd benefit in the future by collaborating with a book writer. But for me, what I struggle a little bit with is that he does rely on exposition where he he tells you too much and he explains everything that's going on, which he doesn't need to. If he allowed himself and the script to trust the audience are going to understand what's going on without having to signpost and spell everything out, I think you would come away as an audience feeling like you've done a bit more work and enjoyed the show. That's my opinion. But like I say, it's brilliant that Dylan has these platforms and these people like Lambert Jackson and Adam who passionately support new writing and musical theatre. Because I love new writing and I love musical theatre. So for me, I am behind these guys completely. Now on Friday, I was at the Old Vic for Rough for Theatre 2 
and Endgame. See what they did to this program, they made it twice. Anyway, this is a new play with Daniel Radcliffe and Alan Cummings, as well as, in the second act, Jane Horrocks and Carl Johnson, who have both appeared at the Old Vic in King Lear. Now for Daniel himself, this is a return to the Old Vic, having appeared in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Now that was a brilliant production and a brilliant comedy. Endgame, <laughs> I really struggled with. Now I get that this is Samuel Beckett and for most they will understand what the hell Samuel Beckett is going on about. But for me, this play that was revived from 1957, I don't know why. I don't know. I, d I just did not get it at all. Their performances are incredible. Alan Cummings is genius. His timing is perfect. And Daniel Radcliffe is superb too. He's done a really good job since Harry Potter of really carving out a varied career and mixing film and theatre work to really try and do different things. And in this, similar to The Cripple of the Englishman, which he performed in, Daniel really invokes a physical performance. And he, they are good, but the piece is just far too random and abstract for me. I've never seen Endgame produced before, so I have no comparison with regards to this production itself. But, like I say, I just, I just didn't enjoy it. And would I recommend it? No. Um, would I go and see it again? Absolutely not. But I guess if you're a Samuel Beckett fan, you'll appreciate it. And certainly what they're trying to do, they're trying to get people like Daniel Radcliffe to bring in a new audience, like me, who've never seen Samuel Beckett's work. But then I don't think I need to see any more of Samuel Beckett's work based on this because it's just really not for me. Sorry. Anyway, at least it wasn't very long. Now on Saturday evening, I went to see Wicked! I love this show. It is generally one of my favourite shows in the world. It's brilliant. And I've seen it a few times, but what drew me back to see it again was the fact I've been dying to see it since Alistair Bremner was announced to play Fierro. Alistair and I worked together on the original Les Mis movie and he then went on to originate the role of Chris in the West End and Broadway's revival of Miss Saigon. He then hopped over to TV to be in Casualty for a bit. So for him, this is his return to the stage and he has been missed. He's brilliant. He's now a daddy as well, having had a little baby boy last year. Now joining him, the other reason I wanted to see Wicked, my friend Nicholas McLean is now Bok. 
I've known Nick for years before he even trained at Mountview and then went on to be in Book of Mormon and most recently Avenue Q. But for him, Wicked is his dream show and it's incredible that he's got this part. Incredible. He's worked so hard and it's brilliant. Meanwhile, and the main reason why I wanted to see it this weekend was that Rebecca Gilliland was playing Elphaba. Now, after a shake-up with Nikki Bentley leaving the show for personal reasons, this has given chance for understudies like Rebecca to go on as Elphaba. And I could not wait to see her do this. I met her first a couple of years ago when she did a show at Above the Arts called Just Another Love Story. And it's insane to think that just two years ago she was there in this off West End show and now she is Alphaba. Incredible. And she's brilliant. Like I say, I love this show. So I was going to be the biggest critic if they got it wrong. But she is perfect. Not only is she an incredible singer, which you need to be to play Alphaba, but she's a brilliant actress. And she nails it. Absolutely. So good. And of course, Nicholas McLean was brilliant as Bok. But... The man who surprised me, even though I knew he was going to be brilliant, was Alistair. Now, they say with Wicked, it's very difficult as an actor because you don't feel like you've got much range to do anything. They're very kind of strict about the way it is performed. They don't want it to change. So actors feel sometimes restricted that they can't really do much with these characters. I beg to differ because Alistair played Fiera in a way that I have never seen done before. Generally, he's played as a bit shallow and a bit dumb. And yet, Alistair brings a completely different take to Fiero, And it really works. And it's testament to Alistair's acting. He is brilliant. So yeah, if you want to go now and see a different version of Wicked, check it out. The entire cast are brilliant, including Kim Ismay, who is probably the best Madame Morial that I've seen. She is superb. And like I say, the entire ensemble are just down. They're Brilliant. It's an amazing show and it's great to see that it's still so, so, so popular. <laughs> Tickets might be a bit pricey. This souvenir, this cost eight quid. Not to mention the price of the drinks and the merchandise. They're making a killing. But then Stephen Schwartz is a genius in my humble opinion. And with Prince of Egypt just opening and Rags currently playing with an original soundtrack on its way, he's the man. Love it.
Sunday, I was at Jack Solomon's for Kaylee McKnight. She is a goddess. Honestly, if you don't know Kaylee, she's kind of been hidden away. And she has done some incredible shows like Tina, Les Mis and Jesus Christ Superstar. But she's never really been given a chance to shine. I first met her when she did Panto in King's Lynn. And she is brilliant. Last year, she had the opportunity to go on tour with Hugh Jackman. Amazing. She, as a vocalist, is superb. And she is so sassy and so gorgeous. Honestly. And as well as that, she writes her own music, which she's starting to tentatively release. And shows like this, produced by Ryan Carter, who really champions new writing and new emerging talent, has really kind of encouraged Kaylee to take that leap and um, to put her own music out there. So as well as rearrangements of classic songs from show tunes to pop, she performed two of her own songs, which were brilliant. They were so good. And keeping with girl power, she brought in incredible guests, Evie Rose Lane, Jodie Steele, and the gorgeous Jessica Daly, who has just got back from playing Avita in China. Now these four women are brilliant. And it was such a delight to hear all of them singing. And Kaylee made it a really fun evening. She encouraged the audience to join in a drinking game, as well as doing an improv song based on quotes that people gave her from dating apps. It was genius. And it was no surprise that the entire evening was sold out. Ryan Carter has done a really, really good job of making Jack Solomon, one of the most recent up-and-coming venues for these type of shows. And I can't wait to see what else he's got up his sleeve. Now, here are a few songs from the evening from the girls. <laughs>
vlog 51 i hope you've had a fantastic week please subscribe to me if you don't mind easy to do just click that button down there and meanwhile i will see you next week for lots more musical theater and plays whatever else i get to see see you later